All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Grammy-winning mix engineer Michael Brower talks about the art of engineering, his studio secrets, and what it was like working with artists such as Coldplay, Luther Vandross, Aretha Franklin, Grace Jones, and more. This was episode 56 from November 1st, Love is single, yeah. Quest love is free, yeah. Quest love is dancing, yeah. Quest love is on the beat. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. My name is Fonte, yeah. Coming through in the clutch, yeah. I can give you a little, yeah. But never too much, never too much, never too much. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. I'm never sour. Yeah. That purple room. Yeah. Give it back, bro. Roll call. <laughs> Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Boss Bill ain't ready. Yeah. Ready to start. Yeah. Rewrote my roll call. Yeah. Had a change of heart. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. It's Laia. Yeah. With Mike and his hands. Yeah. Then touch Key Joe Coldplay Hall of Nose. God damn. Roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. I'm Brower. I'm Brower. I don't know what else to say, but I'm Brower. Roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. 
Suprema, Suprema roll call. Well, Lightyear actually hit the the the, the hit nail the on the head. <laughs> right. I I could just name them all. Luther, Change, Main Ingredient, Cheryl Lynn, Grace Jones, Jones Girls, Queen Guthrie, Angela Bofield, Aretha Franklin, James Brown, Tevin Campbell, Gladys Knight, Meatloaf, Tony Bennett, Paul McCartney, David Byrne, Billy Joel, uh, Hall & Notes, King Creole and the Coconuts, Glenn Jones, and now the show's over, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Now, what they all have in common is uh, probably a very distinct sound. Um, prob- most notably... Luther Vandross had such a sheen and such a clean texture to his music, which I feel defined 80s FM radio, brought to you none other than the master engineer with us today on Quest Love Supreme. Welcome, Michael Brower, to the show. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Now, my my personal favorite shows of any shows that we do um, are with the with the present company excluded looking at sugar steve are <laughs> are the engineers um because they to me shape the sound of the artists that we love so much you know what i'm saying and uh more than you know often i don't even think the artists really know that i don't think the artists know uh, much of the science that goes into the product that they deliver but the engineer can explain it. So we thank you for doing this with us. Yeah. Um, honored. Yeah, I'm honored you, uh, you 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 agreed to do this. So for our audience that's not too Tech-y, deep tech yeah, t- technical <laughs> nerds, what is the role of an engineer? To get the vision of the artist down on tape as closely as possible. To record it in a way that when you put the faders up, you've got the feel of that song nailed. Okay. And so it's more than just a documentation of, of the event, but trying to get the emotion and the feel across. Now, often, uh, are you part of, because people don't know that tracking a song is different than mixing a song. Mm-hmm. So is it important for you to actually record the song so that you can really determine the have control of what comes in can we can we rewind a little bit what's the difference between what is tracking okay well what is tracking there is a big difference between tracking and mixing tracking is when you're recording all the instruments to multi-tracks to many different tracks that you can control the volume over later Mm -hmm. and so how you record the drums and how you record the vocal and the bass, all that is very, very important to make sure that the feel of that song comes out properly. And um, I started at a studio called Media Sound, which was an R&B studio, Mm -hmm. primarily. Um, And I just spent seven days a week in there, um, just, you know, starting as, as an intern and then working my way into an assistant. But the point that I watched that I, that was made clearly is how great the engineers were at this studio and how well they, they recorded the sounds so that the artists would come in and just go, Oh my God, this is exactly the way it should sound. And, you know, and, and, um, it, it would change from song to song. Media is um, where you first interned. Like that was your very yes, first gig. Media sound was my first gig. What year was this? This was 76. Okay. And then I was, an assistant 
by 77, and then an engineer by 78. So did you... Staff engineer. Wait, why did that whole process take me eight years? <laughs> you know... You're still an intern. Are, <laughs> Can you give me some more coffee, please? You know, <laughs> times are different. I mean, back then, everybody moved up pretty quickly. Um, it was just... I've just noticed how quickly it slowed down. I mean, there was a time as Media Sound and many other studios, you had an engineering staff that comprised of the staff engineers and then the assistants that were being taught by the engineers, and then the interns. And eventually, the engineers would move on, and assistants would move into that slot. And then around 79 or 80, when the bottom fell out of disco and all the labels were basically getting rid of their roster, studios couldn't afford staff engineers anymore, and they only had on payroll the assistants. So moving up to become an engineer slowed down dramatically by two or three years because the engineers coming through were all transient. You know, they were just coming in for a bit and then moving on. And so studios just wanted basically professional assistance. So are you saying that from the mid-70s to the very early 80s that there was actually a, a boom, an upward uh mobile movement because when i hear any veteran of the music industry talk they always speak of you know the slow down period of of a particular part of the recording industry and you know some people think that period was like well in the early 80s it, you know the industry was over and then it, it was over say, musically i almost felt like every period <laughs> every year is like hey, it was over <laughs> that year was over so well it you know the studios were starving because there were no more acts coming in. They'd all been dropped. Okay. Right. So, um, but at, so in order for a studio to stay open, they couldn't have staff engineers also on payroll. So they forced pretty much most of the engineers to go independent. Uh, ah, so, so okay. when people say like Thriller saved the record business, like that is not much of an exaggeration. Because from the period that you're saying, like those yeah. early 80s, like it was kind of... Was there was a time when when bands came in and they had carte blanche with a budget. And I remember this distinctly because of our food budgets. Yeah, <laughs> man. I mean, what we ate during lunch and dinner was amazing. And then one day, none of those bands showed up anymore. They were all off the roster. Uh, and then, you know, when it started to, bands were starting to come in You'd say, okay, so uh, what do we do for a food budget? Oh, no, 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 no. We don't have that anymore. Mickey D's. Do you, think that, <laughs> do you think that MTV sort of helped with that as well? I mean, of course, with Thriller, yes. He, it, it was the, the I top think it seller. Was, but. Yeah, I think it was super important. It was also important that bands that were maybe mediocre but had great presence mm -hmm. via MTV just became huge hits. Okay. So who... Do you remember your your? Did you get a job at the studio as an intern because you? Mm -hmm. What were you in love with music, or was it just like oh, I got to get a job? Let me. I was a drummer, um, oh. with a band. It was just a cover band, and we were out in the Midwest. Um, and I, I liked what I was doing. I wasn't sure that I was going to be good enough to make a living off of it, but I had gone to Eastman School of Music right when I graduated for, it was like a two, three week course. 
and it was there where <clears throat> I met. Um, well, there were there were a lot of a lot of people, but one of them was um, Phil. Phil, Phil. Collins? No, no, no. Oh. Uh, 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 Ramon? Phil I just Spectre forgot his name. Spectre or Ramon? No. Piccolo? Or... Oh, my God. It'll come back to me. McGroin? But anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, what was it, an engineer? Or, uh... No, it was a great producer. He just recently died. I can't believe I just... Phil Ramon. Phil Ramon. Yeah. Thank you very much. And, you know, until then, I was, I was pretty scared of what they were... T- they were very technical. And I didn't understand anything they were saying. And uh, I was thinking, man, you know, I just, I I was a performer. I want to continue doing that. And how is this going to go on with, with people just talking about EQs and reverbs and wet and dry? And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) And so it was after a a day of lessons and um, we're all sitting around and Phil Ramone is talking at a table and we're just sitting around and he's, you know, he's just talking about how he, when he's mixing and his hands are moving and, and I'm sitting at the table and I go, wow, this looks like he's performing. And I thought, man, this could be amazing. And it was at that point, just watching him describe how he mixes, that I thought, this would be perfect. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to continue performing. And it just, to me, it was like, instead of playing drums, now I'm playing the console. When did the days of, like, I'll see old studio photos of the Beatles and even some James Brown uh, studio session photos and, like, engineers were actually dressing like engineers with the white lab with coats. suits. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, when did, when did that particular period come to an end for engineers? I, like, when I could think you just that was in? mostly going on in England and Abbey Road, I, I didn't see, unless there was a couple of studios where, jazz studios, where that was very evident, but I never saw any of that. I don't think that was really going on in uh, in any of the American studios. So how how important is math and equations to you? Like, do you go... I'm a guy that goes on feeling like I'm, you know, I'm just learning about different DB levels and Hertz and yeah, Hertz and, you know, overdrive and the thing, you know, with hip hop, it's just like more about feel as opposed to, you know, science, a a guy like Bob power would say, well, you know, too much bass, uh, four level bass will cause your record to skip and da 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 da. da. So you got to balance it and take it, you know, he come up with these equations. Cause I know that your, your calling card or your signature is how you use compression, which I used to think compression was the enemy of music. <laughs> Bruce but, <Wienian. laughs> you, but you made it work. So, like, yeah. how important is is I'm, math and I'm science? I'm hundred percent feel. Everything else is a coincidence. I mean, you can analyze it and go, "Oh, he does this and he does that." Or when I started with mix with the masters, where I needed to teach and actually verbalize what I'd been doing, that's when I had to actually kind of study what I'm doing and try to but it was always by feel if I was looking for a delay I would just turn it till it went ah you know if I slap on a vocal I would just keep moving it too far too little and just then that's not right in but I never you know (laughs) I mean I'm not making a joke I mean that's that's when he gets on the board he just you know he'll he'll boost up the the 
the level and then sweep sweep the frequencies yeah, that's, until it's that's sound. how yeah. I learned. That's interesting because throughout my when I was a I guess out of college I was interested in being an engineer and then I realized the science of it and I figured at some point even though you are doing it through ear at some point it's like you have to know the formula of megahertz and the this and the oh, that thank and goodness the, I didn't have to do that because <laughs> then I would have never would have walked away that scared me away yeah. I could have been that's somewhere. actually what kept me from doing it because I, yeah. I almost was a music engineering major in college and then I saw all the physics classes yeah. that were required Oh, well, wow. you know, oh, man, we could have been something I'll tell you what, it's, it's <laughs> interesting you say that because I was terribly intimidated by people who talked like that. I mean, really, really bad. And I would have to leave the room when they'd start talking. So I'd go, oh, my God, I'll never be like that. They're so smart, right. you know, and they're... And I'll give you the best example where I learned my lesson, and this they changed me forever. Um, it was at Media Sound, and we had just started... It was right after... Outside engineers are now being allowed into studios because at Media Sound, you there were no outside engineers. You came to Media Sound to work with their engineers. But with the desk, death of disco and studios opening up, um, there was a, this engineer, and so he's describing. You know, we're just in the lounge, we're just hanging out, and he starts saying, "Yeah, I've got this uh, acoustic guitar sound, and I've got this." MS positioning where I've got it for two inches, one mic over the other, and then I bring it up and I, you know, and it's like beer and baseball to me, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm just, and I started getting that feeling in my stomach where I'm just like, oh man, I'm never going to see this way. That's how I feel when I wake up in the morning. And I was just like, man, this, I just wish this guy would shut up because I just, I, you know, it makes me feel awful because I don't know what he's talking about and I'll never do that. So I go, hey, can I hear what you're doing? He goes, yeah, yeah, come on in. It was in Studio Way. It's beautiful room. I know it, you know, mm-hmm. every inch of that room. And he plays it. Sounds like shit. And it was crap. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, that is not good at all. And I... I said, okay, Told cool. Him, Thanks, man. No, I didn't say no. Uh, I was just like. I it was like the Keem Peel sketch. I said, <laughs> Did you say that? Yeah, I told him that. <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking to myself, man, what an idiot I am. All being intimidated and everything and walking in there thinking this guy is God, you know, and, and it sounds like crap. And so I left there and I thought, never again will that happen because it's always about feel. And I don't, anybody who start talks big, yeah, if I go in and I listen to it and it sounds good, then I'm going to be curious to see how he did and I'll be interested in learning. But all the talk, talk, talk and all the numbers you need to know and, and you Formulas. know, none of that good, means anything. Yeah. Can you, and, and in ooh. R&B, it never meant anything. I mean, you know, I, I learned, uh, you know, it was because of being around Luther and, you know, that, that whole crowd in that whole field that i started mixing in the up on the upbeat like i never really moved much i used to move down and i'd be the only guy in the in the room on the feeling you know <laughs> down, on, yeah, on the yeah. down and every and i look around and everybody else heads are bopping on the up wow. well, you know i was like well you know, I would try that and I'd fall out of, you know, I'm like, God, I really am the only white guy in this room, you know. Can you, can you trust 
your ears in a studio. For me, the final word is when it's yeah, when it's outside the studio. And I know like most studio speakers are intentionally built to be more dry than what your home experience is. Like how how often can you just know, okay, this this is it. I I really trusted my speakers. Um I would take it home, but it was never my speakers at home were never accurate. They were kind of whacked. And so I stopped doing that. Um, and I'd listen to headphones, but then I was intimidated by listening to my mixes in my headphones because I was afraid they'd sound awful and I'd hear stuff. So I was, I never wanted to put headphones on. Okay. Um, a lot of insecurities to get where I am. <laughs> but on, you know, I actually, what I learned to trust, I was mixing some records in Japan and they had this boom box mm -hmm. and they play back my mix through the boom box and when i they first started doing that i was like oh wow man this boom box sucks <laughs> it's not good at all <laughs> and then you go oh you know maybe we fix this we fix that and I'm like, yeah okay but i mean you know listening to this it's awful and then it got sounding really really good and then i listened back to on my pro acts i was like whoa wow this sounds great mm -hmm. i thought ah yeah, I never I've knew. I just learned something. And you've you've probably seen it in my room. It's like this old Sony box. Yeah. Every song I've ever mixed, I mix through there. And I trust that radio. So when I know it sounds, sounds good, good there, yeah. it's going to sound good on my Pro Axe, on my ATCs, or you know, all the other speakers. And it's going to sound good outside. And, and I also learned a lot from mastering engineer. I mean, the first 10 years or so, I mastered everything with Greg Calby at Sterling. So you would you would you wouldn't trust the process to them. You would actually go and make sure that they didn't flatten you out or anything. Well, I was learning. I mean, he mastered my very first record, okay. and so I'd go what in was there your first because record? back then what was, it what was, record was that? <laughs> <laughs> called Mickey and Becky. It was a Christian act. Huh. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> Recorded and, <laughs> recorded and mixed in, uh, they were really great people. I mean, so many stories with that record. But, you know, that was the first record and uh, the cover had a banner, big banner across the two of them, you know, Mickey and Becky. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. What that was um, my first record. Who were you an apprentice under when you finally got to assistant? Who was, oh, your, who was your... My mentors um, were Harvey Goldberg. Okay. Um, and Michael DeLug um, and Fred Christie and Clear Mountain, uh, Tom, Tony Bon Jovi. I mean, there were a lot of great guys, but the, the two that really took me under their wings were Michael DeLug and Harvey Goldberg. In your assistant days, what were your clients like? Were they local acts, any national or... About everything. I mean, Fatback Band. Uh, oh, shit. Whoa, talk about that. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, no. Tony Bon Jovi was doing Fatback. And, and uh, I mean, just all, you know, heavy R&B was... Uh, Name him. Yeah, well, good good question. Remember two of them, at least. Yeah, um, like Fatback. Fat I'm like, man, Spanish Hustle? Yeah, it's King Let Tim. The drums beat, yeah, which one? Um, yeah. King Tim? None of them come to mind now. It's been so long ago. Let me see. Oh, God. Who Could did you the hustle? 
Van McCoy. Van McCoy. Yeah. But there's also a for the Fatback Band as well. Oh, they had one too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now it was, but it was Van McCoy. He was a regular. He was a great guy. Um, man, I don't know. Okay. How old were you at this point? Um, I started at 25, so at this point I'm 26, gotcha. 27. I started pretty late. Were you scared? I was older you... than most of the engineers. I was Even older than Clear Mountain. Oh, wow. Yeah, and Harvey and all those guys. Were you afraid when you finally took the reins on your own or like how do you make that that leap most engineers i talk to either their lead guy like decides to take a vacation or is sick that day and the next thing you know well they were great there because you start off by doing overdubs okay so you would record a guitar overdub and then you move on to maybe backing vocals and then you'd eventually moved towards doing all the percussion and then strings and then horns all separately. Mm -hmm. And eventually, you know, the day comes and I remember the day I got the call. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an ad date. Uh, It's going to be pretty big session. It's just going to, you know, drums, bass, and, uh, you know, the rhythm section. And then maybe, and maybe, you you know, backing vocals and the singing and stuff. I go, okay, that's cool. I can handle all that. And then about 10 minutes later, the orchestra shows she up. She calls back. <laughs> well, she calls, this is for the next day. And, and Vivian Delug calls me and she goes, so listen, you know, <clears throat> they're also going to have strings and horns um, at, the at the same time. It's all live. It was Studio A. It was a huge, huge room. And she says, you know, I don't, I don't think you, you're quite ready for that. I was like, no, no, I'm ready. I'm ready. I can do it. I can do it. She goes, you're sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm really sure. I go, okay, click. I went over to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, just ready to pass out. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And then she calls back again. She goes, look, I don't know, Michael. Now they've added also a whole whole percussion section vibraphone and i was just like yeah no problem it's no problem click oh. <laughs> so you're saying that typical disco sessions this was an ad date okay an ad date is... and so it was for a commercial or okay. you know okay. for for some kind of who knows anymore it was a long time ago but but they had you know a lot of musicians i mean because the studio during the day we were doing commercials and then come six o'clock we were doing records because you couldn't get any of the musicians during the day because they were getting double and triple scale right so nobody was doing records during the day because records are single scale back then so so media sound was very well known for doing commercials from 9 a.m to 5 p.m and so i'd finish at five take an hour and then I'd start records until, and I was doing double shifts. I didn't care. I loved it. Okay, so I want to get into some of your clients. Um, Billy the- Joel. <laughs> no, but I, I, before we start with all the the ones you want to talk about, well, which Billy Joel well, album was it? Let's back up because with Billy Joel, there's some of these acts like Billy Joel and Aerosmith, where it was part of a box set, a box set 
you know, I would just do a couple of songs and which I never song? met Billy. I never <laughs> met Gashmero Smith. So those were one offs, which, you know, was fun. But I read you also did mixing on uh, Freddie Hubbard. Did you do? Yeah. He did Red Clay. Was it the Red Clay album? Yeah. And uh, it was another. It was another CTR record. You and that turned out to be wait. Yeah, he's still in your, your swag right now. <laughs> Red Clay. He's still in your well, swag. That was, no, that was that was that was that was for Steve. Yeah, that, that was, was that Steve. was the alley, bro. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm I'm dunking it. Just give me a chance. I'm I'm approaching the hoop. Um, elevating. Uh, well, what about Red Clay? Well, because <laughs> <you know, laughs> that's Rudy, right? Yeah, but it was it was after way after the record had been done. And I don't remember why it had to be remixed, but that show was you know that album was remixed, and it was Steve Berkowitz, I believe, that was you know the head of that. The live version or the studio version? It was. God, it's so long ago. I think it was a studio version. Okay, okay, okay. Because the. You were you weren't. I'm coming from the hip hop perspective. This is studio version. That's tribe. Live version. Far side. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, any other what uh, what other CTI records were you associated with? I that was it. I mean, again, it was it was going through Sony through yeah. Steve Berkowitz being re released. You know, just like the Dylan records. Oh, okay. There was a point where they were you know they they wanted to do SACD mm-hmm. and. So a lot of these records were being redone. With the Dylan records, the masters had been lost. Oh, so you're completely mixing from scratch. You're not just taking the the, the half inch and the final, the original mm-hmm. mix. Wow. Okay, so what pressure is that on you? Because I'll notice that this explains a lot when, um, like when I go on iTunes and I'll hear variation in the mixes of like the box set versus... The greatest hit remaster versus the original version and you know it'll be a ring in the snare and yeah. i'll notice different mixes um of course you'll you know i assume that you'll try and stay faithful oh to the original so. but what keeps you from but you're known for such sheen like what if you're doing a project that is okay if you're doing something from john wesley harding or something from like yeah, it's trash sound, not, not trash right. sounding Dylan. If but it's trash, Dylan. It's, it's not appropriate to make it anything less than trash. <laughs> so you do believe in a trash sound? I love trash. See, okay, see, <laughs> this is the thing though. Could because I was just gonna say when I was listening to some of your I stuff, love you trash. know, like, no, 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 like Oscar, get busy. You know how dirty get busy is. Yeah. Right. I, I was like, listen, man, I want to make something like that for you because it's dirty. See, but this so, is the thing though, because know, I don't want to do Sheen was Sheen was years ago, you know, that that's what was cool. What was the, but times change. The thing is like when I think of like even when I think of what hip hop was trying to be the anti or go against, especially right. like with Public Enemy, like I'm thinking, oh, Luther Vandross because I've like what's the, the the shiniest, most brightest, most clear? I mean, now as a DJ, I respect it, you know, because I love when a good mix translates over yeah. uh, the system. But how how do you think, uh, as far as like your your def- Did you set out to say I'm gonna like just redefine what R and B was? Because with the exception of Off the Wall. Most R&B records weren't that super clean. Yeah, 
with Luther, you know, it was, I mean, there was nobody like him. When he came out, nobody was singing like him. But um, it was pretty basic R&B. Mm -hmm. And I think the sound we were getting at Media Sound, it's not like I did something completely different than what we were already doing there. Okay. Um, I think I just, he looked at me, he goes, you take care of the sound, I'll take care of everything else. And he had met me when I was doing the Change record. Okay. And he really liked what I had done with Glow of Love, um, you know, and Searching. Searching. Okay. Those were the only two songs I'd done on that record. And he That's was like, those all, yeah. <laughs> all you needed. <laughs> and he was like, I really like what you did. You know, he says, you know, I, I don't know, I thought, I thought you're, you had my voice a little dry on Glow of Love. And I go, yeah, but Luther, you know, it was just like, it brought that vulnerability out. He goes, yeah, exactly. And I wanted more reverb. <laughs> Can I ask but, you guys a question as a novice? Like, what would be an example of a badly mixed R&B record? To give people, like, a, a reference point, since Luther question. was the great. I mean, not, see, I mean, the real thing is, rap, honestly, like, for real, Prince albums. Oh. Prince, yeah, Prince records. But this is the thing, though. That was part of the kind of appeal, Prince albums but. are bad, and he admitted that you know because he did it in his bedroom. You know what I mean? Uh, up to what album? And oh. the thing is, if you work too much on a song, your ears will start lying to you. Okay. I, I don't know. Do you agree mm -hmm. with me, or, or are you above the? No, I like to take a lot of ear breaks if I can. Yeah, like or a lot it. of times, like okay, a cat like Kanye West mm. will blast. He'll blast his music on the biggest speakers ever. And you'll wear your ears out. So a lot of times when you're mixing, you're supposed to mix on soft speakers, very low level. Because the thing is, if it sounds good on crappy, you know, like your clock radio at home. Yeah. Like what he was saying about his box. Like, yeah, right. it sounds sound good excellent. Yeah. So you shouldn't wear your ears out and you should take ear breaks. But well, um, I, I don't completely agree with that. I, you have really? to feel it physically. I, I mean, agree. I start off with the big speakers with my, I've got the ATC 50s and a big ass sub and when i'm getting the drums and the bass and you know everything else on it's cranked but i don't do it for hours i'll do it for you know under an hour clearly but i'll get to the point where i physically feel it and when i know where everything is in its right spot then i'll start to turn it down and then i'll progressively get to smaller speakers to the point where it's on my radio but i i gotta physically feel what i'm mixing i gotta feel that bottom end and the kick hit me under the, you know, in the stomach and the snare in the chest. and. But to, to finish the point, if those first 10 Prince records had a professional sheen mix, it wouldn't be the same record. Yeah. I agree. Like, I, th I and agree. that's the thing, his, and this is where Bill kind of gets mad at me because I'm slicing everything after the Love Sexy period. Like, once Prince upgraded to Paisley's Park Studios and had, you know, better better equipment yeah i just uh, i hated it i hated Diamonds it because pearls, it just no. it took okay. uh the songs were great like and stevie too same thing the songs are great but i felt the personality was in the mistakes and the kind of like a wu-tang record like you yeah. know yeah. like dr dre is great for sheen but i love the rissa in the basement with mildew and you know the second they went to LA and did Wu Tang Forever, yeah, you heard got it. all clean. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, ah, it sounds like everything else. So, yeah, oh, sometimes only it. the best won't do. Thank y'all. That was thank so you. the th <laughs> the more you know. How 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 much of a, 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 a 
taskmaster was Luther as far as like his the his his discipline, his anal retentiveness it was is unbelievable. Because I know he, in concert he's like what is it like in the studio? It was a great experience. He I mean him and, and Nat Adderley who was mm-hmm. arranging on um, and on the first record he was, this was in Studio B at Media Sound, and he was in the vocal booth, and then the band, the whole rhythm section, you know, was in the, basically we were performing, recording it live. And once he had a great vocal take, that was the take. I mean, that first album, those are all, I barely touched any of the vocals. Those were all the rough vocals. Those were the final vocals on on that first album. And when you say touch them, what would, what would you mean? I like, hardly did it. In other words, maybe I'd, maybe I'd, you know, re-record a word or two. Oh, okay, gotcha. You know, just gotcha. edits. Yeah. But it wasn't even edits. You know, it was all hitting, recording in and out real quick. Wow. So just jump in and out on one or two words. But, you know, it was an incredible first record. And it was done in bits. You know, we did, you know, two songs on a weekend. It was over a period of of a few months easily because he didn't have a deal yet. But, but to, to answer your question, when you'd see him get to work, when it came time for doing backing vocals, oh my God, it was just incredible to watch because, you know, the first, he always doubled the, the backgrounds and who, you know, they would be the regulars. You'd have Fonzie, Fonzie and Tawatha, mm-hmm. uh, Brenda and Sissy. Sissy occasionally. Sissy uh-huh. would kind of come in as a you know as a guest, but there there was and even Whitney came in a couple times. Okay. But you know he he had the regulars, and then he would do the first pass, and then the second pass, he would change everybody around. He'd say, "Okay, Fonzie, you take this note, and I'll take this note, and you know, and the, invert the- and, and invert stuff and." And if somebody just went off a tiny bit or, you know, they were doubling and someone else, he'd notice it right away and go, no, 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 fix that. <laughs> and, and so the reason why the backing vocals always sounded so incredible is because he wasn't just doubling. The doubles were always different. Really? Yeah, because, you know, it, 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 he would just have people take different, different parts when you're when you're initially tracking a song, like take all right, let's take uh, never too much. Um, that was done uh, up in the lounge. How much of, pre how much pre uh, work goes into your tracking before you know you have a take? In other words, uh, does the band have to play it over and over again until you pre mix it? To- oh no, I've. I get the sounds before they walk in or well they'll walk in you know it with never too much would have been Buddy Williams right mm-hmm. um Buddy would have come in and I would have gotten the sounds on him you know back then you'd get these in like 10 minutes basically and so you go do 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 snare 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 kick 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 okay we're good and then bass so you see that your rough sounds 
close enough for Luther or or Marcus to not be discouraged. Like, mm, I don't know this. Sound. I, I'm trying to imagine what a rough mix of never too much sounds like because to <laughs> me, the the sheen of it all, there wasn't the the makeup on it. To me, is is the product. You know, not the the glue, the hair weave, the the, the mascara. Want, you making me want to hear it. Was, it to, is, there wasn't much difference, really, between doing the rough and the final mix, because I was recording it that way. I was recording it, feeling it final. I was riding the faders during the recording, um, and all the monitors were set at basically one o'clock, and so the way I would record is to keep leaving all the tracks at one o'clock and I did all my rides so that when when I'd have to bring that song back up really fast I could just do it with a pencil and I'd have my balance the exact balance because you know if you got to do backing vocals on four or five songs it's not like you got 10 minutes or 15 minutes to get a rough mix you need it right away because they're on to the next song. So you just, with a pencil, it goes, zoop, 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 and there's your mix. And so when it came time to mixing, the mixing took like a couple hours. Like two or three? At, at the most. That's crazy. We, we were, <laughs> at like, Media Sound, we were, <laughs> if, if you took more than three hours to mix a song, you were just exactly. not cool. Wow. <laughs> really? Not cool. Yeah, we would mix let's three to four songs up. a day. Uh, yeah, Steve, let's yeah, speed, let's things, speed up. things up. Let's speed things up. Yeah, Steve, let's speed yeah. things up. So right. which of you two is Sorry, the one Steve. that's overthinking it? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's just that he's saying the exact opposite of what my experiences are. Like, okay, take uh, On Things Fall Apart, take Act Two, Love My Life, mm-hmm. which is pretty much a, a, a Root supporter favorite. Um, but the rough mix sounded nothing like the final mix and a lot of my compositions is strictly done on on faith of don't worry guys when we mix it it's going to sound like this i've heard you say that <laughs> sorry for a long time That's, yeah and yeah. it's like you know and for the longest Tariq hated like the version the version that's a rough if i finally could set maybe i'll leak it out I mean, it sucks compared to what the final was and i just had to be like yo man that's the one he just likes just right to it no 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 but just like just he didn't like it. Common started writing to it, and it was like, "All right, let me add my verse." But because the the tracking when we were done, it just it had no life to it. And I was like, "Dog, just trust me. See my final vision. I'm gonna add strings to the thing. I'm gonna mix the snare real, you know, and yeah. they had the snaps on it and all this stuff. And then the final well, mix, it was like, "Yo, this is nothing like the." But that's what. But but, but do you, you you're know you doing say, the sorry. production in at the mi- time of the mix. That's what's going on there. That's the difference. With Luther, uh, everything was done as we were recording. All the decisions were made at that time. And so come time to mix, it was just the final yeah. process. So but everything was phased. 99% of the record is, is yeah. done now. Just put it up and ride it properly and, and as we're done. So if you want to put a, a phasing effect on the bass or something, or just a little bit of chorus on it, you would do that as you're tracking? If if everybody thought it was a good idea, yeah, and then we committed to it. Okay. See, all right. You just want I the thought that of... if it sounds good dry, then it's like okay, this is a song, and then wait till we dress it up, and then. Well, yeah, but did it sound good dry? Because, Not really. Okay, <laughs> then, that's that's where we went. Well, let's make it feel great, 
because otherwise we're not going to print it. When we record it, it's got to feel great. Everybody in the room's got to be excited. You said it so much that I thought it was like some extra honor and whoever the engineer was that was mixing the album after it was done. Like I always, to my in my mind, I was like, okay, the recording engineer is one thing, but the mixing engineer, that's like a whole well, other level. <laughs> that that developed into it where you had guys who were became strictly mixers like myself. I mean, the first person I remember that being like, wow, you know, people are coming to him just to mixing would have been Bob Clearmountain. Okay. You know, so and, it is, and Tony uh -huh. Bon Jovi, and and uh, I mean Godfrey, and a lot of the guys at the studio became just really, really in demand for what they could do with these tracks. But it, you know, let me ask you a question, Michael. Um, so when it started to become this person's a recording engineer or known as a recording engineer, and this person's starting to become solely known as a mix engineer. Did it immediately start to be some kind of like a, a financial difference, difference oh, as well? Like a, huge. a mixing engineers notoriously get paid more than recording engineers and mastering engineers. I don't know if they get paid more than mixers, but it seems like, you know, uh, it started to become more separated. Yeah, it, and it very much so in the beginning. My question is, why do you think mix engineers deserve to be paid more than recording? I've always... Obviously, they're being paid for their for their <laughs> <Yeah. more abuse>. <laughs> 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 wrong person to ask. No. But um, <laughs> uses more. No, I mean, to me, tracking or recording is pretty hard work. Right. It is hard you're, work. You're and, not just and, using your ears; you're using and, and you're spending you know. way more time than I am to mix what you spent weeks and months recording. But it becomes a specialty, and uh, the more you can really enhance the, the vision that the artist had originally and do it in a way that is blowing everybody's minds, um, the more in demand you become. If, you, if you're a mixer where the only people that like your mix are your friends, you know, you're probably <laughs> not going to get all that much work. But in the beginning, everybody who's an engineer was a mixer. Well, yeah, back you then did you everything. did everything. Yeah. You did everything then. But we started to realize that some guys were much better at engineering than they were at mixing. And, and vice versa. And vice versa. I always thought that Bob Power was a way better mixing engineer than a tracking engineer. Yeah. But then master is a whole nother level. It's like if oh, and then, mixer is yeah. the peasant to, I mean, if uh, recording is the peasant to mixer, then mixer is the peasant to master. Yeah, the master well, is like the last step. That's like yeah, the, the last step, step that you know hopefully you mix what's mixed if you're doing it right the mastering engineer shouldn't have too hard a time yeah but he probably gets paid the most i don't know about that yeah. there really depends but but as you said before the the same thing holds true um if the recording engineer does his job right then the mix engineer shouldn't have too oh. hard of a time there are tracks where if i know i'm getting something from joe ciccarelli or or you know, a, a bunch of great engineers and i know I'm going to be mixing them. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a good day. <laughs> okay, now, so uh, <laughs> since you said that, I now think that the mixing engineer has it harder because there have been a lot of times where my mixing guys will be like, fuck, like, you know, I understand the 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 nightmare that they're going through. Um, but didn't we have a situation with one of our interviewees where they said that they got a, who said that, oh, Just Blaze explained that, you know, they would get bad 
uh, tracked Jay-Z songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a guy like Jay-Z doesn't understand the technical jargon. He's just like, yo, I want my shit right in two minutes. You know, if you're with a client that is not, you know, technically, you know, up there with his IQ to understand certain things, then I almost feel like the mixing engineer would get more abuse because it's like, yo, why does my shit sound like that? Because that's how it came to me. They're not going to understand, like, well, you know, the tracking was bad and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, I never... We learned not to use that as an excuse. We just made it good. And we had to figure out how to make it sound good. I mean, way before drum samples, and we were doing, you know, like disco records, and you get this kick that goes, (laughs) you're like, what am I going to do with that? You know, and, and we learned how to make it sound like a great kick. So are you more not afraid uh worried about um the producer and artist at hand versus the a r and label president like so say it's a balance. okay great example if now rogers was extremely satisfied with the way that diana. he makes the diana record <laughs> mm-hmm. barry gordy gets it and like this shit sucks you know and then hired his own guy to remix that entire mm. 1980 album so I know that uh, because a majority of your stuff was on Sony and Arista and stuff that, you know, is, is Clive talking to you like, you know, I like my mixes and da 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 da. Well, it's very clear what you were going to hand into Clive. It was going to have to be all about the vocal. And so the challenge was to make sure that you got a real good groove going with the rest of the rhythm without making it sound like it was a huge vocal up and that's where i learned how to eq certain things out of the record so that for aretha i could make her sound really really loud but you could still feel the track around her so uh of your of your of your hits arsenal what was a recall nightmare you know did you have to do freeway love like five times over like how often would you have to recall a mix until all parties were satisfied there wasn't much of that going on back then you know you might recall it and back then it was almost like a memory i mean they'd they'd start writing stuff down a little bit but i would just kind of put the tracks up and and recording like now you know you can recall something instantly we're pro yeah there's there's no comparison I mean, there's just no comparison. Now you got to do stems if you're recording on, I mean, if you're mixing on an analog desk. Um, No, back then, you know, you'd recall the desk and, and I mean, I got my guys trained so that you could, you know, you could match the mix to the recall perfectly. I mean, really had them taking good notes, but quite often I just throw the track back up and it, I don't know, I would do the same things I used to do and then. I'd look at it, and it would sound just about the same. Um, but it's interesting you brought up Freeway Love because that was the turning point for me, that particular record with Narada. Mm-hmm. Because something changed. Well, I, I didn't record it, and that was a bit of a challenge, but he wanted a lot more bottom end than I had ever done before. And that was truly the most horrific day or two in my life because as I added more bottom end, the vocal 
started to come down because the stereo compressor was just grabbing, grabbing, because the stereo compressor reacts to to low end more than top end. And he'd say, hey, give me more vocal, you know, and I'd bring the vocal up, and it's like, oh, my God. And then the bass would get squashed, and just the whole mix started going, so I, I, I survived it. Let me put it that way. I still can't really listen to that song without thinking what I went I through. Be better. <laughs> but how's it, Steve? What this is, we're talking about? Freeway of Love by yeah. Aretha, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, and I, I, it's it's a funny song. Yeah, I, I, I never understood the lyrics, but <laughs> and, yeah, Freeway of Love in a pink cat. Why are you guys are pants so tight? <laughs> 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 Yeah, but do you remember the uh, the mic that you would use for her? Like what you would yeah, track it was on? a four fourteen. Who makes? That? I used I use a four fourteen AKG with AKG. with Luther and everyone, everyone, and I had it angled in a certain way so it was the bottom of the microphone was just tipping at the nose. Hmm. What and was the reason so, for that? So it was kind. Of, it would look at their face. Okay. That's what I was getting. I was getting their face and their throat, as opposed to just the mouth. So I get the nose and the whole face. This guy's mic and so faces just over here. Right? <laughs> yeah. and, and if, for Aretha, for example, if she would, you know, kind of edge up into the microphone wow. because it was you know, licking down, I would just put a dummy mic in front so she'd be singing into like a 57. So I keep her position oh, proper. So her head wouldn't go up like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that. So, but four fourteen. That's got that had a really nice area, and then I was using my Neve. You know, I was I was recording on a Neve desk, exactly like the one that we have here, eighty sixty eight. What to kind of uh, what kind of um, preamps or compressors were you running them through? It's, oh, it was the Neve oh, preamp the, and the Neve compressor that was in the desk. Oh wow! So like no outside like tube tech none of that stuff. Not no, that's not when I had the Neves. It was perfect. So another one of your clients that I'm really curious about, um, I've always wondered about the the quote-unquote compass point sessions uh, of of Grace Jones's trilogy. Um, did you mix and... I only mixed it. So did you have to go to Bahamas to do it or... No. That's after... No, I mixed it. The uh, entire album? Yeah. I really love that record, man. I mean, you know, for hip-hop heads, the... Uh, my Jamaican guy is like, you yeah. know, it's, it's a staple. So uh, in doing that record, which, you know, of course, with Sly and Robbie as the as the um, as kind of the, the 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 rhythm anchor of that album and them being known for a lot of the stuff that they've done with reggae music. Uh, what was it like for you to sort of incorporate because a lot of that record would you know you have to use a lot of reggae effects like echoes and yeah. and all those things like what was that process like mixing you know it just came to me a lot of that it's just this is what it has to be and you know it's back then it just happened spontaneity spontaneity spontaneously <laughs> that's right that's right words <laughs> It was, you know, just another day. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you know, the, just the legend of, of, of Compass Point Studios and well, I think, what it's supposed to represent. With, you know, now in hindsight, it's, it's legendary folklore. But. Yeah, I mean, but Sly and Robbie were incredible. Just incredible. So 
mixing those records. Um, did Chris actually produce those records, or did I? I, I don't feel like I his don't name know was because just I, on came, it. I came. I came in. Alan also did it too. Yeah, I came in later, you know, for the mixing of it. So I, I don't know what process, but I think Chris was always involved in those records. I'm talking about Chris Blackwell. Right? That's yeah, what I was sorry, guessing. Blackwell. I, thank Chris you, Blackwell. bitch. I guessed it. I was. I needed some. Was that Sly <laughs> Stone? Because no, I, Sly Sly Dunbar. Dunbar. Yeah, there Sly we go. Sly Dunbar yeah. and Robbie Shakespeare. Thank, thank you. I, but they're known as Sly and Robbie. As they're a team. The infamous rhythm section. They're a bass and drum, uh, drum and bass, r- rhythm section. Yeah. And the the folklore of, of Compass is? Compass Point Studios is uh, just... uh, a facility in, I believe, Bahamas? Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah in the Bahamas. Um, and pretty much uh, Chris Blackwell wanted Grace Jones to get out of disco music. She was doing, you know, like Viva La Rose, Viva in I forget the. Yeah, Viva La Rose. La Vida. She was doing like, you know, An album and all that yeah, stuff. weird yeah. disco shit. And he wanted her. He was like, you, you would have a better fit, uh, doing more pop reggae stuff because like the police was hitting and sort of fusing that together. So, uh, what they call the Compass Point uh, trilogy is her three albums: Nightclub and. Uh, live my life. You nipple to the bottle, uh, uh, pull up to the bumper. Yes. All those songs that you know Grace Jones for were recorded there. Let's love Supreme. Learn something new every hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I, I know it's it's not classy for an engineer to tell, but there has to be a hard client, like one that just rode you to the limit. Yeah. There's, there's hardly any records that I feel that yeah. you had bad results in, but yeah. everything could have been a sunny journey from A to no, Z. No, no. There was one uh, where I was just mixing his record. I, I, it's not good to tell you who okay. it is, but, well, but I'm going to tell you that he comes in and uh, he says, all right, and he puts his feet up on my desk, right, right oh, on the console. Shit. Now I'm like, okay. You know, Were they as we boots? grow, <laughs> right? Thank you, Steve. As we grow wiser, you get to understand how different people, you know, tick. And by doing this, he was going to show me he was in control. That's what, that's what the, you know, all the body language was saying. He walks in, pissing on the carpet, and he's yeah, he wants mm-hmm. to piss on there and just say this is his territory, but in fact, it's mine. So he says, "All right," I said, "All right, I'll let that go." And he uh, he listens to it, and he looks at me, and he goes, yeah, you know, it's okay, but uh, I got a problem with this, I got a problem with that. I'm like, okay, fine, <laughs> let's get to work. Right. And he just complained and complained and complained, and just really was, there was no point in it now, I was, I believe, the third mixer on this. He'd already mixed this record <laughs> oh, with two other people. And they said... I think I know who you're talking about. And they said, Brower, you're the only guy that can be able to handle this. Because at that point, I had reputation for you know, knowing how to deal with a lot of different egos and stuff. And so it, we kept going at it and going at it. And, um, and he just started getting more and more upset and being more and more oh, yeah. disrespectful, I, I, finally I stood up and I went. I was like, "Well, 
this session's over. And he looks at me and he goes, what do you mean? I still got more. I go, no, no, this session is over. Because at this point, he's kind of swearing at me and, you know. Okay. And I just stood up and I shook his hand. I went, see ya. Okay. Can I just <laughs> ask one question? That was one time I did this. Can I ask one question? Yeah. Does this artist go by three names? <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Does it go by three names? No. He went by one name. Oh, Questlove? <laughs> was he from the same but, town as Questlove? Oh, it was, was you. <laughs> really? So I could have sworn it was Terrence Jarvis. Terrence Jarvis. Terrence Jarvis. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, I've got a great story with Trent. What? Because Trent I Resner? mixed. I, oh, Trent. Terrence Jarvis. Terrence. 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 Oh, wow. Terrence. Okay. Um, yeah, I mixed, and I did some extra production on If You Let Me Stay. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And when I was first being introduced to him, um, Lincoln Clapp was the, uh, I mean, not Lincoln, Lincoln, oh, what's his last name? Oh, can't remember. Um, Lincoln was introducing me, he was the A&R for, for Terrence, uh -huh. and uh, so he introduces me to him at a club, and he goes, uh, you know, hey, Terrence, this is Michael Brower, he's going to be working on your record, and he goes, ah, so this is the guy who's going to fuck up my record? <laughs> and I looked at him and I went, no, I'm not going to fuck up your record because I'm not doing it. Ah, <laughs> he goes, oh, nice. He goes, what? Nice I go, why should I start now? If you think I'm going to fuck up your record, why should I even bother, right? Because I've been down this road. I'm not going to waste my time. So see ya. And he goes, oh, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, and Lincoln's like, no, no, Michael, Michael. You know, I go, no, man. I'm not into this at all. He goes, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm like, really? Really? Are you kidding? You know? <laughs> this is something from like 21 Jump Street. Like. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and he was just like, oh, okay, all right. You know, I said, all right, well, I'll think about it now. And that was, you know, and then eventually I did it. But I was like, man, if you're starting off on the wrong foot like that, it's not about it's an not ego. It's better, like, I've been right. down this road. You know, and then you go, oh, I hope not. I hope I don't screw up your record. No, I'm going to do a good job, you know. And, but you <laughs> but know. in the 80s, wasn't everyone arrogant? Wasn't everyone an no. asshole? And wasn't everyone no. a diva? And wasn't... No. What? No. Damn, I just I didn't thought work we with started any... getting polite now. Like, yeah. I, I thought back then you had to deal with cocaine on your, 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 your soundboard. <laughs> well, yeah, there was a lot of that. But they were usually too burned out to, you know to be an asshole. So you ended up doing the Heartline album, the introduced Terrence Trent Darby's yeah, first Yeah, but album, just one. The just, If You Let Me Stay. Yeah. Oh, that was a voice I wanted to ask you about since we're talking about the 80s, not to bring her up with the coke and stuff, but Angela Bofield, who is a voice that's not spoken about a lot. Mm. Do you, I, I'm guessing yeah. you were the recording engineer. What was, what was you, that session? Did you track the entire Too Tough yeah. record? No. Just the song? Yeah. Okay. Mixed or, or tracked? Just mixed. Oh, damn. Okay. Because I wanted to ask Recording, about her yeah. as a person. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's what I was asking too. She's got a. Yeah. Yeah. Saw the unsung. But the music was remarkable. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, can I ask a question? Yes. So, um, so back back in the times that we're talking about, which is, I guess is the 80s right now, mm -hmm. um, a lot of the artists and presumably other people associated, like maybe label people would show up to the mix sessions and have input always and um wow. and can you talk about how that's changed nowadays for somebody like yourself well it, now 
I have to plead, and I don't even bother anymore, to have the artist show up at the mix. Are you serious? They never show up. It's now down to maybe 10%. It kind of went the way of analog tape. We're mm-hmm. <laughs> suddenly it went you from want analog them to tape hear to Pro Tools. on good speakers because now we're judging from our computers and our iPhones. You know, it's just a different time. I mean, it's just the way it is. Who was the last artist that was interested in their mix process? I cannot see them not do that. Bon Jovi. He was there every day. I mean, to me, it, I, I'm always amazed when they, they don't want to show up. It's their album. But they, they're scheduled to a point where they've got, they're on tour or they're in rehearsal or they've, they're, you know, they, or they're not given the budget to fly over. <laughs> Yeah. So you wait, know? you're saying Coldplay and John Mayer and none of those guys? Oh yeah, sure. Oh, I was about oh they to say were. That. But I'm just saying that that the majority, the ones that sell you know, records, yeah, so all the Coldplay them. records, you know, the the guys individually would come in at first, and then, but it was always down to Chris and myself on those records. Plus, plus a lot of these artists trust him where they don't need to be there the entire time, and he can exactly. he sends them mixes and they approve them and so right. forth. Oh, okay, they're not total dickheads. They're just, you're the man. Yeah. And too, I think... Well, I, no, they just put their trust into the visionary there. And you, you have know, to learn how to let go. I mean, if you've been, by the time a song comes out to the audience, as an artist, you've heard that song a million times. So once it's done and you send it to the mixing engineer, it's just like, look, Take it away. And like, at this point, as an artist, do you really want to co- go back to you with revisions because you are who you are? Oh, I, that's got nothing to do. Who I am is that I'm going to be a good listener. Right. So Your they, ears they are have good. A, yeah, but but it's my opinion. You know, I'm interpreting it. It's And if it's nailing it exactly the way they want, then we're good. And if it isn't, then we do revisions until it's right. Okay, so I'm going to try to... Not rapid fire question, but just in general, because again, your discography is way too extensive to go through everything. So, what three songs of yours that you've tracked and mixed mm-hmm. just gives you absolute positive, like goosebumps? Like, and I, I mean, filler hits, whatever, like, um, just like I captured magic in a bottle. And well, these three represent me. I would say House is Not a Home with Luther. Wait, uh, side question Was that, was it, was it tracked to a click track? Because I always wanted to know how he nailed the Still in Love, Still in Loves without doing well, it live with his band. No. There was no, and it was done before the strings came in. He, do you hear when he's holding that note and there's like a little dip? Mm-hmm. That's his heart rate. Say that's what? his heart going. Ah. You hear that little drop? Yeah, yeah. That was just him holding it. That was, that was a, the take. And he's just holding it, and then everybody's watching him. You know, Nat's watching, and then downbeat and then when when i think it was leon that did the strings um they, they were just you know they practiced it a few times and then and so after they tracked the music he didn't come back like a week later and said 
I think I can nail that vocal take just a little bit better. No. Like, none of those songs, none of those uh, vocals were redone. Those were all from the rhythm tracks. That's crazy. You know, from the basics. Because he would also... Um, he would also he would do he would do a tour of uh um radio stations and have a tv track of that stuff and actually sing live mm -hmm. in the studio i've heard like maybe four different versions of a house is not a home various uh places across the united and he nails yeah. all those gaps and pauses like yeah perfectly and i'm thinking like you see like okay 13 seconds here no, it's just feel, just hundred percent feel. And what what we used to do a lot too is, I was really into throwing a delay on his voice. You know when he go whoa. You know? <laughs> well, I would do that when we were recording, and so he and I would just be playing back and forth, and he would never know when I'd throw you know a delay on it. <laughs> but eventually, as he's recording. You know, I'd throw a delay in and, and he would answer the delay. So I was always printing the delay. Wow. But he would just, he and I would go back and forth. There was just this thing between him and I, you know. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So, okay. Another two songs. Because in Bad Boy, okay. it would do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, that was all during the recording of the basics that oh, I was doing that. Okay. Okay. That's why there was that natural answer back and forth. I mean... You know, and I was I was very much part of starting that, and then that became part of the trademark. You know, when he was doing live, then the Ooh, mixing engineer was doing all that stuff. But what that was just fun between he and I. I would just try to surprise him. What are the other two? Well, recording. So you have recording and the mixing. Yeah, I mean, mixing is. I would say with mixing, it would be uh, yellow. Coldplay. for Coldplay wow. that was just there was that really empty lonely feel that turned out to really I was able to get that just from the snare drum the snare drum just created this kind of ominous feel it was so did you mix and record parachutes or no just, no I just, just mixed just it. Mix it okay gotcha but to record it's the recording and the mixing back then really the only it would be that. It would be jump to it. Ah oh, man, jump, 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 jump to, to it. it. Yeah, and, and that was Yogi yeah. on drums. Um, probably using either you know one of two snares, but um, really, it was always either the well, Artie Smith was his drum tech. The great Artie. The great Sometimes Artie. Sometimes mine's drum tech too. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he would tune the drums and he had, you know, Yogi's drum set. But quite often, depending on the song, I had my two snares next to him, next to Yogi that he really liked. And depending on the song, we'd switch it out between my 800 and the, uh, what was that snare? That, that percussion, that, that weird. Yeah, it's not a It's a no on, name. <laughs> on YouTube, he's using a Yamaha, but. Uh, his signature stare, snare that he used on it's no I don't know what it is I assumed it was a Yamaha but it's not no it's uh, some percussion company why there. can I ask why so deep with the snare tones why <laughs> it 
sounded good. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. that simple. You know, it was just nice to have it real fat and then you Like take, has Luther you, ever tracked a song with like a tight snare and you guys were like, eh, no, nah, it doesn't work. I don't think it ever occurred to him. I mean, he never brought it up. It was it would be between, you know, Yogi would be the one that says, you know, tighten it up or loosen it up or I want this other snare. Uh-huh. You know, Yogi really directed all of that. But, you know, you'd get that low sound and then you take the Poltec, which is a EQ, and then you'd push 8,000 all the way up and then you get that great, great edge, natural edge on the snare. So you'd still hear that crispy sound, but it was big and fat. What song do you wish you could recall and just do again that you're still not satisfied with? I don't. I or never, I I never that? felt that way. Really? Yep. There wasn't a when I was t- done, I was done. Most, most first singles are like the last song done. Like, I need one more song. And then that's the one time no. pressure or whatever like i it's not to say that they couldn't have been better but i just never i just never thought that way i was like we're done let it go move on he doesn't want to say because somebody's gonna ask for their money back <laughs> <laughs> well i just i felt really good when i was done and i'd walk away and say okay next and if it if it needed to be recalled and it was better i was like wow didn't think of that who, who else uh do you do you like uh that uh, mix engineers you admire? Oh, I've got a lot of fans. I love Manny. He's a good buddy of mine. Uh, Tony. Can yeah, American. And Tony Maserati. Yeah. Uh, Spike. Um, you know, when Bob Powers, he used to be at, at Sony, and I, he was in one room and I was in the other. Mm-hmm. And I'd listen to his mix. It's like, oh, God, that sounds so good. It would make me feel really like, oh, do I really want to go back and mix the song I'm doing? You know, <laughs> he was just had such a great, great feel. Um, yeah, I mean, there's those are the ones that clearly come to mind that I just, I just love. And I, I got to know Manny through uh, mixing John Mayer because we split up the album. Okay. And it was on the Continuum record. And I'm listening to this other guy's mixes. And I'm like, wow, man. This feels, it's, it sounds different, but it feels the way I feel a song. I, like, I got to get to know this guy. Who is he? <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't pay a lot of attention to who's out there. You know, I'm just doing my work. But um, it, was, it really stood out because it was one of the first times where I'm sharing songs, mixes with another person, and they fit so well together. It's like, it great. So how do you feel now the way that um, technology has has completely changed from what it was 34 years, 30 or 40 years ago when you first started? So now people pretty much can do everything on their laptop. You know, I'm fine with it as long as they call me to mix it. <laughs> no, they're mixing on their laptop too. So. Yeah, well, I mean, have you been in see, that situation where, where you've changes. had to? They can do everything on their laptop. And then when it comes down to the mix, it's like, eh, it could be better. 
how do you think feel about modern engineering now as far as like mixes are concerned like are you like well, uh, everything was better with analog like you know, no streaming no, is killing it still the- comes down to the pilot you know you're going to have great engineers and you're going to have really terrible engineers and that's never changed even in analog days you got really really crappy tracks that you'd have to work extra hard and then you get other guys who are just incredible and you just put the tracks up and you're like ah, mix is done it's just fantastic you know and and as far as analog desks i mean i'm moving away from an analog desk pretty soon how do you feel about that oh i can't i've been mixing a lot of music on the hybrid i'm still surrounded by analog everything is analog right you still have your outboard gear uh, yeah all my outboard gear is analog so the only thing i'm kind of switching out is the fader and the sound of that particular desk but you've got great plugins where you can get the same sound. You know, if you're doing an SSL, you can get the SSL sound. If you got a Neve, you get the Neve sound. You just put that across the channels, and you, at least in my experience, you can't tell the difference between what I've done on, a, on the SSL 9000 and in my, in my hybrid, because it's sharing all the analog gear. Okay, okay. So I, I'm, and then, you know, and it's easy now. It's a lot easier because... You know, when you're on an analog desk, you've got three and a half hours of stems of, you know, paths, excuse me, passes you've got to do. In a hybrid situation, you hit a button, you've got a script that does it all automatically. So it, it's also v- way more efficient. What was the transition like when, um, like moving, I guess, I guess it's maybe in like late 90s, when the game started transitioning from analog to Pro Tools and to computers? What was it like then? How did you make that switch? And was it difficult? It, it was, well, I still treated, when it went from analog to digital, the first thing I noticed is that there was a lack of tightness in the music now. And I didn't know why. I just thought, well, 24-track analog just must sound, you know, just sounds way better and, and digital doesn't. And it turned out to be that, it's the clock, the clock that, that ties all these tracks together. I didn't know this at all because I'm not at all technical. But it, you know, it was years later when I realized how important this clock is to getting a sound. And, and again, it's down to the engineer, too. If the engineer is recording great to digital. But digital had just a lot of artifacts that just didn't sound musical at all you know they, they felt like there was a ceiling to everything that i was doing um, and of course that's no longer the case but yeah it was sonically it was rough and i still use i didn't know anything about pro tools i would just use it as if it was a playback you know okay. i didn't do anything i had an assistant who well, I think it's still like that to this day. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Shout out to Steve Bealy. <laughs> That's right. Thank God. Um, but, you know, and then in the beginning you had plugins, but the plugins, they looked like my hardware, but yeah. they didn't sound they at terrible. all. Yeah. So I had no reason to use them because I had that gear. But eventually, you know, Waves and UAD and SoftTube and, you know, all these great companies started, you know, getting so good at emulating some of this gear that I that you know one day I I put a Poltec across something and I was like wow this sounds just just like mine 
And at that point, use it. You know, for me, I I'm not. I just want what sounds good. So, are you? What's your opinion on soft tube versus waves? And, you know, <laughs> I like big waves. <laughs> she likes she likes hard, soft she tubes. Likes, she likes hard tubes. Just, yeah. And yeah, real hard. <laughs> hard <tubes. laughs> anyway, so uh, you got a question? Go ahead. So, um, so the last ten years, approximately, you've you've been at Electric Lady uh, in the studio. Yeah, the last eight years. Eight years. Going on nine, I think. Okay. In the in Studio B, which studio is the B. legendary purple room with the purple SSL nine thousand yes. and purple. Great walls sounding. And, it was yeah, one of the first first SSLs in New York oh. City. And it's on it got totally refurbished and it just has a great punch to it. Great sound. And uh and and now you're moving on to you're building your own place now. I'm having a place built for me, yes, which I'll be moving into next year. So it should be exciting. What's that? Right, I'm having. Are you going to miss it, Electric Lady? Oh, of course I'm going to miss Electric Lady. I'm going to miss everybody there. I'm going to miss Lee. You know, I'm going to miss the vibe. But you know, it's I'm excited by this. This Is a you know, it's another another phase. Wait, answer me this: Um, Have rats ever run in Studio B? Because just mice, not my last day. (laughs) (laughs) No, full grown. No. And I I'd, still say that was a rat, not a not a mouse. I've, Steve I've never seen mice, and I've never seen ghosts. Okay, man. Did let, you? Let, last day of but my assistant has. There was a rat. He's been totally freaked out by by a ghost. <laughs> of who? There's a there's a ghost that. His name is Jimmy. Oh no, <laughs> it's not Jimmy. It's some some guy. I don't. know. Everybody describes him the same way. Some guy with a beard and in stuff. Electric Lady. At Electric that Lady. That means he died. Oh, yeah. Because when we were there, Jimmy the Cat was Jimmy. Like, was that ghost? And Jimmy the Cat is no longer with us. I no. should hope And he did not have a beard, actually. Just a furry, Just furry. furry overall. Yeah, gotcha. yeah so maybe. I, I don't know. I've never seen him. So, <laughs> But, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll look at Steve or I, uh, other assistants before him who just have this look on their face. They're not... They're not kidding, you know. <laughs> Somebody just walked by and they thought it was me, and I'd already gone. What? <laughs> oh yeah, I believe it's on it. I but believe the only, the only that thing that building. I've experienced is, is, um, on a, one piece of gear, I've got two really big knobs. It's on a shadow hill, and you'd have to literally. <laughs> But yeah. Pause on that. <laughs> You'd have to literally fall into it sideways to turn the knob. And I had just left the room and I came back in and I played the mix and it's completely whacked. It's like all left heavy. I go, what just happened? And I turn around and one knob is just like, you know, been moved almost all the way to the top. And I, I looked at my assistant, I go, how did you bump into this? He goes, I haven't even been near it. I was like, "Whoa!" I really? believe you ten thousand percent. I was like, "Okay, no. all right. No, well, let me turn cool. this knob back down." <laughs> you know? Shit, Jimmy ain't like whatever. Did the cat do that? Jumped the on the cat board. would jump on the console and and, the cat and jumped, turn on all the the. The cat jumped on the console and actually uh, clicked a button and it sounded twice as good as my mix. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, was, he, he jumped on the console and actually walked on the board and clicked something and then walked away. And we all looked at each other like, "Holy shit!" That I I believe that Jimi Hendrix is Jimmy. still 
trapped in that studio somehow. <laughs> did you? I, I want to ask. Did you do? Did you record and mix Viva La Vida, the Coldplay album? No, just, just no, mixed. Just mixed it. Just mixed it. Most of the record too. It wasn't. I didn't do the whole record. Oh, okay. Did you do Strawberry Swing? Yeah. I love that song. That was awesome. Great job on that. <laughs> I thought you were about to ask Joe uh, Santorini questions. Oh, oh, about the lawsuit over there. <laughs> <coughs> I was in the Grammy audience the day that they uh, won an award for that, and him and his lawyers were trying to chase them with the subpoena. Wow! So it was oh, like watching. Uh, you, you remember like those old Keystone cops? Keystone cops, yeah. <laughs> yeah <when> they- <laughs> <laughs> but the literally. Like the Coldplay and their whole cat, their whole management team, like running down the aisle, and Joe and his lawyers are running the other way, and they're like chasing oh, each other, trying to serve papers. Damn. Oh, you mean with with Viva La Vida. Joe? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I look. I've known these guys from the beginning. They were physically running. Yeah. That. You know. That was just a hundred percent coincidence. Yeah, I don't I care what you. anybody no. say. I mean, no. you know, if you look at the at the prior record, it was it Soundcraft, um, where they copied. You know, they they loved this one little hook, mm-hmm. and they immediately called them and said, "Hey, you know, we're gonna use we're gonna use your you know that line, and and here's your credit." And I mean, th- this is it's just. You know, unfortunately, it happens. Right. Yeah. There's millions and millions of songs coming out. It's going to happen. And, you know, it's kind of like it. But regardless, it, it was not a conscious effort because that's that's not who they are. If, if they're going to copy something, they're going to give that person credit and they're going to be very, very humble about it and, and write about it. So mm-hmm. well, that's my opinion on it. Well, we think knowing them for... Uh coming on the show today and schooling us about mm-hmm. about sound and, <laughs> and craft. Thank you, Michael, for coming on. Yes. Thank you. for a pleasure. Any other last minute? Uh, Steve trying, has I'm a little bit of space. Cole, like, okay, Cole, on the Parachutes album, did you mix? <laughs> Yo, the, you're a big Coldplay fan, huh? Yo, man. Politics my joy. Man, politics, that, that whole first album, like that was just... Okay, did you mix the song Parachutes? The one with yeah, just him I and mixed the guitar? the whole record, but, oh, man. but one song, it was... Shiver? No, I mixed that. <laughs> Yo, I love you, Fonte. Yeah. Right I think now. actually the first two like, songs I mixed you? for them was Shiver just and Yellow. Coldplay <laughs> Shiver and which one? Yellow. <laughs> Yellow. Oh, man. Yellow. That was not right out the gate. Listen. Like, you got damn hits. Okay. Yeah I, yeah, I love that record. Did you, did, did you do Clocks as well? Uh, no. You didn't mix Clocks. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. That was the shit. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had. Okay. But. No. But I did the X and Y record. Excellent. Okay. And then. Fix you and. A good part of the Viva La Vida. Yo, can I just say to the listening audience, if you want to get a real quick headache, go down Michael's list of credits because. It's yeah, too much, it man. It never stops. We was, we Crap, I didn't even ask any like... fishbone questions. Damn. Oh, fishbone. Ah. All right. We're yeah. definitely going to have a party. God, what a great record that was. We're having, we're having a party. Which, which fishbone? Which one? David uh, Kahn. my surroundings. Ah, David Kahn produced it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Line real quick, uh, the line between engineer and producer, where does that begin and end? And have you ever 
kind of gone more into the producer area. Yeah, I did production for a couple of years. Got that out of my system real quick. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about that. <laughs> Who did you produce? Nobody you know. <laughs> Try. I was I went to England and I did I did some production. I did this one band, uh, Animal Nightlife, and then Icicle Works, and you know, damn it, oh, 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 Roachford. Roachford. Oh, Andrew Roachford. Andrew yeah. Roachford. Yeah. Yeah. Cuddly Toy. I I produced that. His first album, his second album? First record. First album. Okay. Uh, Roachford and Andrew Roger. He's fine. No, Andrew. I don't have to explain. We, we can Google, you know. Well, I was going <laughs> to say that new, but, new Ron and Andrew but Roachford. But you know what I realized oh, okay. quickly as a producer, and I, I, I was pretty sure of it, and then I, I confirmed it, is I, I'm not a songwriter. I don't have a melody in my head <laughs> that came from my own head, right? And to be a great producer, I think you really need to be a songwriter. And so I knew I'd I'd always be limited or restricted to bands who were completely self-sufficient, which isn't really realistic. Yeah. So um, after a couple of years, I was like, the best I'm going to do is be average on this. And I and then I really just loved mixing. It's like I don't want to do anything else but that. Did you mix Magic by Coldplay? Did you mix? <laughs> Nigga. <laughs> I'm thinking, look, fuck y'all. I like Coldplay. Did you mix that record? Did you do that one off the off Ghost Stories? Uh, no. You didn't mix that one. Okay. Did you do anything on that on that record? Mm -mm. Oh, okay, you didn't do that one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, the unpaid bill. We're gonna get Craig Craig from Atlantic up here, so we can just. Oh yeah, Craig Because he has a gazillion Coldplay stories. Okay. Anything else? Uh, um, you worked on the Gwen Guthrie padlock record. Yes, that was that's when I worked with Sly and Robbie, and I, I did it at Compass Point. Did you have any interaction? They produced that. I did not know that. Yeah. Did okay. you work uh, with Larry Levan on the mixes at all, or? No, I mixed that. I think it was with Sly and Robbie. Okay. Seventh Heaven. They came Levin. back. Yeah. Seventh. Seventh Heaven. Heaven? Yeah. With the infamous. Boom! 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 Oh my God! Do you even know how iconic that that uh, that one synth stab is at the yeah. top of that song? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I mixed that in Studio A at Media Sound. Jesus! But I recorded that, and it was you know, it was a trip being there because you know you'd be on the beach, and then around twelve o'clock, one o'clock, everybody show up at the studio and start recording. And yeah, I was gonna say it's. It's, I've got pictures of that. I'm show you. I don't think, like, to be in that comfort zone, I think that's bad luck. It distracts everybody. It might be relaxing, but it might be too relaxing. Well, there was. I'd rather be uncomfortable and cold in a studio and focused than, like, yeah, but the whole vibe was laid back. There was a whole lot of smoke going on. <laughs> that, it was size of cigars, man, and I'm not smoking, so, you know, I okay. get... Wait, since it's, since it's rapid fire, last minute questions. The BBQ band. Oh, yeah. Oh. On the beat. On the beat. Da, 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 Did they da. just say, like, look, we want to sound like chic, or, like, what's... Was there any connection... It, it, well, like, was it the same guy from Change was behind? Well, that hold too? on a second. Hold on a second. How that record was done is we went to Italy and we recorded sixteen oh. songs. We recorded sixteen songs, uh, the rhythm tracks on all of them, right? Then we came back to New York and he split it in two and called one Change and the other one called BBQ, wow. and then put lead vocals 
you know, at that point, Luther didn't sing on that. He was, they, Fred That's Petrus had, had done something dumb. Probably didn't. So, but the <laughs> right. basics are identical because yeah. I recorded them all. At, in one period of so time. You said that's the, the best Luther song he never God. recorded. And well, he would have, except that that Petrus didn't want to give him a, a royalty. Damn. So he said, well, I'm not going to sing on this record. So then we spent three weeks trying to find a singer that sounded like Luther. It was just everybody. Yeah, so you got everybody coming in there trying to sing like Luther. It was like, oh, my God. But we ended wow. up with uh, Krabs Robinson, who ended up doing that. But And then on BBQ... It was, you know, different singers and, and different backing vocals. And then maybe some of the overdubs, since overdubs were done, you know, by different people. But Man. I just mixed, you know, I came back to New York and I mixed all 16. Did you do uh, BBQ? Did you do Imagination, uh, Starlet, like all those records? Imagination, you mean Hall of Notes? No, no, no. Uh, oh. BBQ band. I did one BBQ. I, oh, it was just one. Okay. The first one. The first one. Okay, we really got to wrap up, guys. All right. Anyway, all the notes. We got to text the notes. We got to all the notes. We got as Because you did Private Eyes, right? You Did you mix that? No. You didn't mix Private Eyes? I mixed. I can't no, go for that. No. I mixed some of the singles. I mixed uh, One on One, No Can Do. Those were remixes. Was, and those okay, were the so ones that went the to inch. R&B radio. Uh, oh, so the album version is different than the single yeah. that you made. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I understand the 12-inch fatter drum version of I Can't Go For That, but I love the, just the tinty toy sound of the album version. <laughs> yeah. I love it, but I, I get it now. So you, you were there to boost up the the mix. Yeah. Okay. I see. All right. Anything else, ladies and gentlemen? Okay. The Coldplay model is oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. You're fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said that like Morris Day on the graffiti bridge. We didn't ask like Morris Day either. Oh, I've worked oh, with Morris Day. Oh, you did. Come yeah. on. I told you, you the whistle gave you a headache. Oak tree? Yeah. Oh, you did the oak tree. Shit. Oh, I did shit. Oak tree. Wait a minute now. Oh, man. Oak well, tree. Uh, okay, you did everything. Uh, on behalf of Boss Bill, Unpaid Bill, and Fontigolo, and Lightyear, and Sugar Steve, this is Questlove signing off. Michael, thank you very much for coming. Thank we'll you. see you on thank the next go-round. Questlove Supreme. <laughs> West Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.